Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. We, we turn to the book of Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets, but with a major message in your pew Bible, it's page 787, and we're looking at the final verses of that three-chapter book. We're in chapter 3 at verse 17, seeking to think about the, the calling that God has placed upon us that's so closely related to thanksgiving, and a number of you spoke about it and approached it, the idea of rejoicing in the Lord, and this text is about that beginning at verse 17, Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. The call to live a life of thanksgiving is more than being aware of the many blessings we have received. No, it's to be closely linked to heartfelt rejoicing in God himself. So it is to be based on and spring from a life of trust in the Lord and genuine fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and what he has done. This year is the 400th anniversary of that three-day harvest feast of the pilgrims, as we've termed them, of Plymouth Colony in Massachusetts, which they celebrated together with the Wampanoag natives of Massachusetts. That was in 1621, a little less than a year after they had arrived. They had arrived on the frigid shores of New England in December of 1620, and within a few months, more than half of them were dead because of disease and malnutrition and other things. By the spring, only about 50 of them were left to plant crops and to carve out an existence in the wilderness. That's a familiar story. Well, how is it that these believers could continue to trust God and even to rejoice in Him, we know, in such circumstances? Well, these, these concluding verses of the book of Habakkuk give us insight, and I want us to think of it in three parts. The context for rejoicing in God, the resolve to rejoice in God, and the reason to rejoice in God. First, then, the context. In verse 17, we see what Habakkuk writes. This, this picture he gives us, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines. And he goes on to describe these agricultural images of desolation with all the normal means of agriculture at an end. This dire situation. And that's a reminder of giving thanks always because we see Habakkuk eventually move to saying that he rejoices in his God. 
Reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or we know that Paul in the book of Philippians, this epistle that's called the epistle of joy. Here's Paul in prison for his faith. And the words joy and rejoice come out multiple times so that in chapter 4, verse 4, he can write, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Very humbling to be called to rejoice from someone like the apostle under God's inerrant inspiration that we are called to rejoice always. So no matter what the adversity, no matter what the hardship or the suffering or the loss, no matter how great the trial of our faith at a particular time, our God calls us and I would say invites us to rejoice in Him. That no matter what the circumstances, He is our loving and gracious God through what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. The context then here in verse 17 is a situation of complete destruction. If you don't know about the prophet Habakkuk, he was a contemporary of the more famous, at least to us, Jeremiah. They lived at the same time, at a time when the nation of Judah was about to be destroyed by the Babylonian Empire and taken into exile. The temple would be destroyed Jerusalem would be made a pile of rubble, the people for the most part taken into captivity or killed in a very solemn way. I think of the images of one of the worst hurricanes to ever hit the United States, Hurricane Katrina, and how that initial storm surge in the Gulf Coast just came miles in and destroyed trees and houses and everything in its way. Just a picture of utter desolation. That's the idea that the prophet Habakkuk describes throughout this book. In the verses right, right before this, in verse 16, he begins that verse hearing these words from God that he's spoken. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. It's so distressing for this prophet to hear about what's going to happen to his nation, which he loves the absolute ruin that God would bring, yet he would return. He would bring them back. And so we ask, what is the context of a Christian's rejoicing in the Lord? And the answer is, every context of life is to be the context of rejoicing in the Lord. Whether it's the ordinary joys of life that you may be experiencing or whatever the losses and sorrows of life might be, great and small, in any and every context, the Bible tells us rejoice in the Lord because of the fundamental joy and blessing that we'll see of knowing Jesus Christ. God the Lord is my salvation. In other words, our faith in Christ goes deeper than any of these low or high ordinary circumstances of life. William Bradford is one of the most famous of those first pilgrims. Eventually, he would become the first long-term governor of Plymouth Colony. This was a man, you may not know about the early part of his life, a man who knew something about suffering. As a boy, he experienced the death of both his mother and father when he was at a young age, and then his sister died as well. 
and his grandfather raised him, but by the time he was 12, his grandfather had died too. Kids, can you imagine going through that? Losing your parents and your, the grandparent who raised you? And facing these kinds of adversities certainly made William Bradford grow up faster and become more serious about life, and he began to seek out spiritual truth. And soon after moving in and being taken care of by one of his uncles, he was struck by what he's called a mysterious sickness, his long-term sickness that prevented him for a period of months from working in the fields. And he would later write that this long sickness had saved him from in his words, the vanities of youth. He's looking at this as a 12-year-old, and it made him better prepared for what he would later experience. But more importantly, that illness gave young William a greater opportunity to prayerfully read the Bible. He had been raised in Yorkshire, England, and he was still there at a time in which there was little religious freedom in the land, And not long after his 12th birthday, young William sought out fellowship with a a like-minded congregation of believers to worship God as he believed the Bible instructed. These were a group called, in a derisive way, separatists, one branch of the Puritan movement that had been sweeping Europe, a branch that had determined, in their view, that the Church of England at its time, with all of its deadness, and formalism was no longer a true church. And Bradford, imagine it, at the age of 12, this very young man, finding a congregation in a nearby town called Scrooby, a town a few miles down the road, and it was here that the young pastor, John Robinson, led a secret gathering every Sabbath, every Sunday. Secret because such gatherings were illegal in England at the time. In fact, the newly crowned King James had declared angrily, I shall harry them out of the land. In other words, he was talking about persecuting anyone who would take the kind of actions that this pastor or young William Bradford would take. Well, by the time Bradford was 17, the time had come for fleeing the country because the persecution had become so intense. And so he gave up the comfortable inheritance that he would have otherwise received when he became 21 and sailed with other separatists for Holland. You might know the story that the the pilgrims, as we call them, went to Holland for a period of time first before they came to the New World. And that, w- that began the journey that eventually led to the famous voyage of the Mayflower to that small colony that would be named Plymouth. I just want us to hear, as we think about the context for rejoicing, something of the suffering that this young man had already gone through in his life. These were believers in Jesus Christ seeking religious freedom. Not everyone on the Mayflower was part of their religious group, but a large part of them were, seeking to worship God according to their conscience and willing to risk anything and everything for that great aim. Well, they finally got to Cape Cod after a very harrowing and difficult voyage, and it was there, anchored off of Cape Cod, that Bradford experienced the death of his young wife. 
He was 30 years old, and she was about that age as well. Well, within the next four and a half months, as I have already said, a large part of this small group was already dead, yet they continued to trust in their God. And years later, Bradford looked back on that first year in America in his history, and he stated these words, but here I cannot stay and make a pause and stand half amazed at this poor people's present condition. They had now no friends to welcome them, nor inns to entertain or refresh their weather-beaten bodies, no houses or much less towns to repair to and to seek for succor. What could now sustain them but the Spirit of God and His grace? May not and ought not the children of these fathers rightly say, and wasn't he speaking to the generations to come, might they not rightly say, our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness, but they cried unto the Lord, and he heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Now, we may not be of English descent. I'm not of English descent, but we can certainly say, what a heritage, what a spiritual heritage, what a reminder of this history of the first Thanksgiving, which gives us this context that very frequently the context for the call to rejoice is in the midst of suffering and hardship and pain, even as we read through the prophet Habakkuk. Well, secondly, we see the resolve to rejoice in God. Habakkuk has seen prophetically what's coming on the nation, yet he goes on in verse Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Notice this resolve. He states his resolve no matter what comes as he sees the unfolding history that's been prophesied. He resolves to rejoice in God. Don't we all know that rejoicing doesn't come naturally to us? To, re- to truly rejoice in God, we are much more prone to sanctified grumbling, as we've heard it mentioned, to um, discontentment, to uh, entertaining in our hearts some degree of questioning of God's will in our lives. We think of the Israelites in the wilderness time when they, they were fed miraculously by manna from heaven. They were supplied supernaturally time and again with water from the rock, Think of it, they were led by the, by the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. Supernatural manifestations of God. And yet again and again, what's the doleful refrain that we read? They grumbled against the Lord. And it was a grumbling that was marked by unbelief. And that kind of grumbling comes very easily to all of us. It is the opposite of rejoicing in the Lord and giving thanks to Him. And so it's important for us to remind ourselves again and again throughout our lives and throughout our days and even throughout our hours, as one person shared, to rejoice in the Lord and His goodness, to seek to cultivate that spiritual discipline of reminding ourselves It's a way, really, of talking to ourselves, or even, we might say, preaching to ourselves, calling ourselves to focus on our God and not so much on the circumstances around us. 
It's like the psalmist in Psalm 42, verse 5, who, who was talking to himself. He said, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Jeremiah was living at this time of Habakkuk, and, and he lived through the desolations that Habakkuk prophesied. And he witnessed Jerusalem destroyed and the anguish of the people as they were dragged into exile. No wonder he's been termed the weeping prophet. And yet, he rejoiced in God. We think of his declaration in Lamentations, where he was talking about his resolve in the light of what he had seen. He says, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. This is what it felt like for him. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. There's the description of, of what he feels like. But then there's this resolve. The verse, verse 21 is the turning point of this text. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. It's as if he's talking to himself. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. There's that resolve to praise God. Sophia Lee has been a reporter and a writer for World Magazine for 12 years now, writing very insightful articles, I might say. Well, 12 years ago when she began, began this line of work as a reporter, she wrote an article about her struggle with a severe eating disorder in her young life. For years, she and her family lived through this anguish of this life-threatening condition. She was a pastor's daughter, and at that time, she described this battle and what it was like. She says, many times I could have died I was actively destroying my body, stubbornly refusing even to open the Bible because of the tight, confusing mixture of guilt and resentment I felt towards God. I wanted to hurt myself so much because I loathed everything about myself. God used that loathing to spotlight my sin and weakness. Friends, intelligence, and talents all obliterated by a single mental disability. Nothing to boast about, nothing to contribute. I was a 52-pound college dropout who couldn't even feed herself or walk uphill without falling. But I had an almighty father who so loved and treasured me that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to replenish my soul, my mind, and my body. I saw God's love through my family, my church, my friends. I saw God's love in someone as pathetic and wretched as me. It took me a long time to understand what that kind of grace meant, deeply, intimately, personally, to me. I no longer wept about my inability to recover. When I used that newfound identity as a daily perspective on every circumstance and situation in my life, true recovery took place. 
And she goes on, many professionals say you can never recover completely from an eating disorder. Yes, the scars will always remain, but she's coming to the point that I want to make. Yet, the scars will always remain, but in my experience, God never wastes our tears. Even as my heart still tightens with the painful memories, the overwhelming sensations I feel are thanksgiving and awe. You hear what she's saying about resolving to look at her life in a different way through her identity in Christ. Through all the heartache and pain, I think it's amazing to hear her description of her overwhelming sensations of thanksgiving and awe to God. And so we resolve to rejoice in the Lord, this resolve that springs from God's massive grace to us. In Christ. And that brings us to our last brief point. Thirdly, the reason to rejoice in God in verses 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. God is our strength, He is our salvation. The reason we can rejoice in God always is that through Jesus Christ, through the the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God freely gives us all that we need in Him. He gives us salvation. He gives us the forgiveness of sins. He gives us new life in Christ as we put our trust in Him. That great salvation of God given by grace. What are the reasons that every Christian can rejoice in God no matter what? There may be many reasons that you can rejoice in God and in the normal gifts of life. And maybe tomorrow at dinner, you'll be telling family members what you're thankful for. Those are all good things to thank God for. But at the foundation of it all, we give thanks to God because He is the God of our salvation. And my prayer is that each of you can say with Habakkuk, He is the God of my salvation. Like Sophia Lee, who personally and intimately knew the promises of God applied to her and had received them through faith in Christ. And that because of God's work through Jesus Christ and because of His great love, the Christian can know the blessed assurance of salvation of of God through Jesus Christ, being granted eternal life, fellowship now and forevermore with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you do not know that assurance, may you call upon God through Jesus Christ in faith in the promises of His Word that you are able to say, He is the God of my salvation. And if you've trusted Him, know that like Habakkuk, whatever comes in your life, whatever adversity the Lord might bring in the coming year, that you can always confess with Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Amen. Father, we marvel at your goodness to your people year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, that you are calling a people to yourself from every nation and tribe and tongue and language. Lord, we rejoice in you. And we ask that you would sharpen in each of our hearts and minds that resolve to give glory to you, 
to find our joy supremely in you and to stand on your word, whatever you might bring this year, any day of our lives, as long as you give us life on this earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.